All right, then I guess we'll jump into an awkward intro. And hey, here we look, go. It's, it's illustrator Jason Platt joining us tonight. Oh my god! Hey gosh. guys! Ah! <laughs> Surprise! Hello! <laughs> ah, I didn't. Ah. I didn't know I was here tonight. <laughs> where, where did you come from? <laughs> <laughs> How this is an Arby's. <laughs> we do have the meats. The amount of. <laughs> the amount yes, yes we do <laughs> the amount of professionalism we exude on this podcast is <laughs> astronomical <laughs> absolutely uh, speaking of professionalism let's uh, uh bombard him with question <laughs> okay, okay yes we have new question uh <laughs> we're talking about the best animated feature category uh which of course didn't start till 2001 and we were curious, Jason Platt, if you had any animated films that you think were worthy of winning Best Animated Feature pre-2001. Oh, my gosh. Pre-2001? If, mm. if, yeah, if the category had existed at the time. <sighs> 12 Monkeys was not an animated movie, was it? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think so. Animated oh, characters. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, wow, that is a great one. You know... Um, Growing up, uh, I am really fond of the movie The Rescuers. Um, it okay. was uh, nineteen seventy-seven Disney, and they were still like doing like the Xerox style of cell production. Mm. So it, it's really scratchy. Right. But uh, there's something about like Bob Newhart's portrayal and the mystery, the the creepiness of the swamp and in Louisiana that I just, I really just, as a kid, it just scared the bejesus out of me, but um, <laughs> uh, I love the mystery of it all. So that one. Yeah. So that's, that's good. I, I love that movie. It, that's a great film. Oh, yeah. Anything else pre 2001. Mm. Oh, man. Um, 2001. Some other folks uh, named, you know, they got the Disney Renaissance films, but a lot of uh, good anime in the late 80s. And Iron Giant well, is always mentioned, I think. Oh, okay. Iron. Yeah, that absolutely. Uh, I was saying, I, I think I remember, Iron Giant comes up every episode now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. Because I remember I went to the movie theater back in 99 and I saw the poster for it. And it, the poster just looked horrible. <laughs> Iron Giant. It just it did not look inviting at all. And it was 2000 and I just got my first DVD player if anyone can remember that time. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the same year I got my first DVD player. Yeah, it was it was it was about the time when it, they all came down. Yeah. And to even make it worse, I was reading my copy of Premier Magazine and um <laughs> I was reading the DVD reviews and they were talking about the Iron Giant and, and they said it was the uh, best movie that no one saw. Yeah. And so I went out and bought it the next day and was just, I was blown away and crying all at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a, that's such a good film. Yeah. I'd, I'd it, say it's a tragedy that it was a bomb, but it's really, you know, I, Brad Bird is no worse for the wear, I guess, in the long run. And and it's got such a beloved following now. Yeah, I, I can almost guarantee that it's made Warner Brothers a lot of money in the last 20 years. That yeah. 
it didn't see in box office sales. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because it's one of those films, I don't know a single person who's seen it that doesn't like it. Yeah, I, I don't either. Yeah, I've never brought up the Iron Giant to someone and they went, yeah, I don't. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> you suck. <laughs> so yeah, the rescuers and the Iron Giant. I mean, it was it's 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 difficult for me because I I loved seeing animated movies when I was a kid and even as an adult. Right. So yeah. it's it's a tough pick for me. Well, I yeah. I think we got two good answers, and I think yeah. we can uh, talk about a movie. Talk about a movie. Hello, all you beautiful people out there in podcast land. My name is Paul Workman. I'm Zach McCoy. And I'm Jason Platt. And we are your Oscar Grouches. And welcome back to the Oscar Worsty Podcast, show where we discuss Oscar winners throughout history and try to determine where the Academy went wrong, if they went wrong, and what film are we watching this week, Zach? We are watching The Incredibles, which is a superhero movie that's really more about family dynamics, personal insecurities, and government mandates. Excellent. Nothing like... <laughs> A lot of bureaucracy for children. They love it. <laughs> if, if episode one taught us anything, it's that children love bureaucracy. I, I was about to say that. <laughs> I, I, I did want to open up the rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, that, there's no rabbit hole. We don't go down. We were uh, just a very quick snowball. We were very recently watching episode one and, um, the five-year-old is still kind of learning how to read. So my wife was reading the scroll for episode one. I'm just listening to her read it. And I'm just, <laughs> he's not paying attention. He, he's on the floor. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Uh, this is everybody's first time watching The Incredibles. No. No. No for me. Does anybody remember I, I, the first time they did watch The Incredibles? I do. I it was uh, right when it was released in two thousand and four, and super excited to see it. Knew nothing about it, and it was one of those situations when, as it started, as soon as like the the old timey like um, the, the uh, interviews, the interviews came on, I was like, oh my god, I am gonna <laughs> fall in love with this movie, and yeah. it didn't disappoint. And when it got done, and all like the the post credit like. Uh, the credit, like animations, I was just jumping up and down. It was life changing. Nice, nice. Um, Zach, I'm not going to go on at length about my notebook, but I just brought it back. If you heard <laughs> last week, I talked about this notebook for my then girlfriend, um, documenting our dates and things. But I brought it back just because I do have the ticket stub right next to Polar Express. Nice. Oh wow, um, November. November 5th, 2004, 18 years ago. That is crazy. I saw yeah, it at the AMC 24 in Hampton. Crazy. Shout out to AMC for using good ink on their ticket stubs. None of those yeah, fade. For sure. So many of the other ones I have, the ink fades, which is yeah, sad. Now, now they use like shitty printer paper. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah, it's the worst. What about you, Paul? I'm assuming you saw uh, it in theaters. I worked at the Regal in ah. Newport News when this came out, so I saw it multiple times in the theaters. 
I have posters and other like swag around this room oh, and house somewhere. There's actually a picture of me and Leanne that exists somewhere, probably on her Facebook, uh, of me playing guitar to her in my old apartment before we moved in together. And there's an Incredibles poster behind us because oh. it was up there because I love this movie. I'm making a uh, note to stock the Facebook profile later. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I remember when this came out and there was a lot of like, a lot of like hand wringing about it being two hours long mm. and people saying, our kids going to sit through a two hour long movie. And is Pixar finally jumping the shark? Mm. Uh, pun intended. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and so when I finally got to watch the film, I was like, I don't know what all that nonsense was about. This film yeah. is, is exactly as its title says. It's incredible. Yeah. The, the pacing and the whole thing is just, is top notch. There's not a down moment in the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, before we talk about the movie too much, I think Paul might have something for us. Uh, I have an Oscar breakdown. breakdown. And we are covering best animated feature. So, Incredibles, directed by Brad Bird, who wins this Academy Award, uh, wins over Shark Tale, a film I almost kicked somebody out of my apartment for trying to watch. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody brought Shark Tale to my apartment and said, I'm going to watch Shark Tale. And I said, no, you're not. (laughs) They put it in my DVD player at my apartment. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) There must be a name for that. Some sort of... uh, hijacking shark healer anyway this is something uh and shrek 2 right. uh so that's that's it just three nominees yep incredibles comes out uh incredibles also uh wins best sound editing and is nominated for best sound mixing and as we like to do with this category i'm also going to talk about the other animated film nominees uh and what they got nominated for outside of the category. Now, Shark Tale didn't get nominated for anything outside of the category, but Shrek 2 gets nominated for Best Original Song for Accidentally in Love by the Counting Crows. Oh, I love the Counting Crows. All right. Which, yeah, which is the song that uh, I think opens the movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that loses to, I'm going to butcher the Spanish on this, Al Otro Lado del Rio from The Motorcycle Diaries. Oh, Jason looks very disappointed in the way I said that. I know. No, it's my not even knowing that song at all. Uh, I I only remember it because I believe uh, Gabriel Garcia Bernal uh, sang it at the Oscars. Nice. Because he played Che Guevara in the Motorcycle Diaries. That's right. Uh, Also, oh, go on. I was going to say, I own a copy of the Motorcycle Diaries, but I haven't watched it yet. Uh, just waiting for the right time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just got to be the exact right time. All right. And uh, another animated film that picked up a few nominations on the evening, but was not in the best animated feature category was the Polar Express. Yeah. Which also gets nominated for best original song for Believe. Uh, also gets nominated for best sound editing, which it loses to The Incredibles. Also gets nominated for best sound mixing, which I don't think I said both The Incredibles and Polar Express lost to Ray. Oh. Oh, okay. That I believe that is it. That is where all the animated films pick up their nominations this week. 
that was a beautiful job. Although I believe there may be one more nomination, The Incredibles, Scott, that I'm not sure if you mentioned. Okay, yeah, please. If I missed it, let me know. I think it had a best original screenplay. It did. Oh, it did. Okay. I I just went right over that. I forgot it got nominated for best original screenplay, which it unfairly loses to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. <laughs> you biscuit eater. <laughs> uh, a film that we have covered on this podcast. So go listen yes. to Zach's birthday episode this year. Uh, That's right. Honestly, looking at this category, incredible should have won that. Fair enough. All right. And that's our Oscar breakdown. So now let's talk about The Incredibles. The Incredibles. Where do we start? Let's see. Where do you start? I say start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. (laughs) That's true. We're at the beginning. Yeah. Oh, well, then we've started at a very good place. (laughs) Now, we talked a little bit about the Iron Giant in the intro and... I was reading about how, you know, the box office struggles had Brad Bird reconnect with his old friend, uh, Lotso Huggin Lassiter. Is that what you said his nickname was? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, came to Pixar. They gave him creative control and he brought his team of animators. Now, we've talked about a lot of the Pixar stuff and animating humans and how, you know, the animation has gotten better and better, but the human characters were still kind of kind of creepy and not quite there, but they had to invent all new um, technology for trying to get realistic human movement. I mean, they're not necessarily he- realistic human looking people. I mean, they're yeah, they're, they're very stylized. stylized. Yeah. Yeah. They're very stylized. However, uh, and I've said this many times, like with my son, uh, we've, we've talked about this movie many, many times uh, as much as I love the polar express, because mm. I, I love that movie. It's, it's, I, I think, for the time, the technology that was available, they they utilized every corner that they could. Mm. And it was uh, a staple for many, many years in our household. But even looking at The Incredibles today, you can like see some of the, the aging nowadays. I mean, it's, it's aged just barely um, when you watch it nowadays. Right. Um, yeah. But when you, when you compare The Polar Express with The Incredibles... With the Polar Express trying to be so lifelike and so realistic, we as humans, we see the, the flaws um, in artwork when, it, when something just doesn't look right. You, you might right. not, even for non-artists, you can see like that person moved different than I do. And, you know, it's, it's like looking at a play, PlayStation 2 game where the people are like, hi there. You know, they're <laughs> moving like this and there's something off about it. Mm-hmm. And there's something about the Incredibles that I just really appreciate with the stylistic way that you were talking about, Zach, mm-hmm. that they're very cartoony, but with that cartoony look, it almost gives them more realism, in my opinion. Yeah, mm-hmm. The way they move, it doesn't age like the Polar Express has. Um, I can still enjoy this movie and like I said, I can still see I can see tiny bits of the the aging of technology, but not much. Right. And the the characters yeah. look more lifelike than they did in the Polar Express. And that's not me saying anything bad about Zemeckis's film, but I, I would pick The Incredibles any day out of the two. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and and you you, you compare this to where they are just like a few years ago even in 2003 with finding nemo like mm-hmm. the the humans in finding nemo are 
atrocious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they they Darla. spent all they spent all the money looking making the water look nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, look at Toy Story back then of what they had to work with, and boy, mm. you know, we were yeah. we were back in '95. Our jaws are dropping. Yeah, you know, no joke. It looked amazing. Yeah, yeah. and. You know, and that and that continues to happen where every year they they throw something else out, and it's like, oh wow, they they you know, uh, Monster Sync, they they create all that fur technology, so Sully looks right. like he's actually really furry, and you're like, oh man, that's that fur looks so real, and Dining Nemo with the water, and you know, you you would swear that they just had a camera underwater and were creating fish under there. Yeah, yeah. The fact that the fact that they've come this far in just nine years is yep. right astounding. Yeah. Amazing. Like even even watching it this week, the the whole plane crash scene when you know they fall into the water and everything, just the the hair <laughs> um what's the word I'm trying to think of? The not the dynamics, but anyway, the way the, the yeah. hair moves and and the water is reflecting, it's just like yeah, it, it holds up. Yeah, but the, the Brad Bird is just really good at this stuff. Yeah. But I mean, of course, yeah, it, Oh, go on, it is so so cinematic. I mean, there there's this one moment uh, that I love when um, he picks up the car out of anger near the mm -hmm. beginning of the film, and you see the kid on the trike, and he's uh, so close to the camera, wink wink, mm -hmm. that he's out of focus, and that the depth of field that Brad Bird did with this animated film is just astounding to me. It it makes it made it more real to me. With yeah. that uh, that focus, there's there's a shot at the very end when they're driving up to the house and the family runs out of the car that they're in into the house and the way that the quote unquote camera follows them in the house feels like it's a handheld camera like you're you're yeah. watching like you're watching a Jason Bourne film and it's yeah yeah it's such a beautiful shot that you almost forget that you're watching the animated film because the way they treat the camera in this is just so intelligent. It's so informed yeah. every decision, you know, he, he was doing that with iron giant five years earlier and uh, the way that the giant moved and was mostly done in 3d and uh, uh, amidst the, the 2d animation, just, yeah, he knows, he knows how to create a shot selection. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I like how, you know, his, uh, you know, I call it nostalgia, but the love of uh, the atomic age and spy stuff and superheroes. But he's creating new things. He's not just um, going with the the standards or, or you know recycling material. He's creating new stuff to exist in these genres for all the technical feats of the film, and they are incredible. I, the real heart, I think, is the just the conversations and and the way the characters interact. I was thinking about how, um, as far as Pixar movies, this is probably the one that's played the most at my parents' house. If like, if I ever go over and something's on TV, I'll see the Incredibles more than any other animated film because it's, it has that multi-generational appeal. We talked about that a little bit with finding Nemo, but I think this is the Pixar movie, probably even to the day that is like appeals to our parents' generation or something. And, you know, yeah. my stepdad was a big fan of Coach, so, you know, Greg <laughs> T. Nelson there. And <laughs> Holly Hunter's got, you know, a lot of appeal from people watching films in the 80s and 90s and stuff. So, yeah, anybody think, who has taste loves Holly Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> big nudge, nudge. 
Jonathan and his bad comments. <laughs> well, and kind of going off of that, it's like uh, I, I have it on as we're talking, but um, the scene with them like arguing like about like uh, it's not it's not graduating. He's moving from the <laughs> what the fourth grade to the fifth grade. Right. There shouldn't be a ceremony for that. <laughs> that that argument that they're having is very realistic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's something that you would hear a parent, two parents like having against each other in a house, and so I think that's relatable uh, with how the script was written. That yeah. yeah, and I like that that the superhero backdrop is just kind of allegorical to fill in the blank. Like, what dream did you have that wasn't fully realized? And that's what superherodom is to you. You can map just anything onto it, and then every conversation around it, you just plug that into it. How he's trying to live vicariously through his son, and he feels his son is being held back. And then they're celebrating yeah. something as banal as moving from one grade to the next. <laughs> right. And I'm not going to like uh, speak too much about politics or anything, but I think there's a nice balance of, you know, you kind of look at... Uh, Bob, Mr. Incredible, as sort of a a moderate, you know, he's maybe conservative leaning. And then why is uh, Holly Hunter's character Elastigirl human? You name? said it. Oh, you said it. Me. Now I can't think of it. <laughs> Holly Hunter. That's all I can. Helen. 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 Thank you. And she, you know, I think she would be more of the progressive. And, you know, um, and we see that more in the sequel, but I'm not going to talk too much about that because we'll have time for that later. But I think there's something to be said about, like, I, I feel like by the end of the movie, the the quote-unquote Incredibles are is representing family unit. Yeah, it is right. celebrating that we are powerful as a family. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the beginning uh, of the movie where they show the glory days, uh, it is celebrating the excitement of being single and, and growing <laughs> up. And, you know, you're, you think that you're unstoppable and, and everything – um, and so it's, it's that acceptance of that your family is also incredible because it's like after the whole tragedy of like the saving the suicide jumper, the train, all of that happening at the beginning, you know, it's so sad, especially as you're growing up and especially as an adult and you see Bob sitting in that small cubicle and just doing the, you know, the whole drums of his, the daily life, the grind. And just when I, when I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, man, I feel that, you know. And it was like the, the incredibleness of being single and then the incredibleness of that realization that we are something, too. It's, it's, right. The analogies are really cool. Yeah. yeah. It's a very smart film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love that they give them the last name Par to make them average. <laughs> mm-hmm. I never thought about that. It's, it's the silliest thing, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it, it feels like it fits in with the, the comic book aesthetic that they're trying to create with this. Yeah, absolutely. And just overall, I, I think so far with every Pixar movie, they've nailed it with the, um, the cast and the voice actors and again, so many quotable lines and things, you know, always talking about a super suit. Well, and it's funny because you, you're talking about Craig T. Nelson and it's like, I actually forget that it's Craig T. Nelson 
right. and just how he he blends into this character so much. And Holly Hunter, God bless her, I know it's Holly Hunter, <laughs> but there's something about Craig T. Nelson in this role. He just blended into it that I just I always forget. And I, I remember this in, in 2004 when this hit and they announced it was going to be Craig T. Nelson and how excited I was for that being being a fan of his from Poltergeist oh, yeah. and Coach and mm-hmm. what else not when I was a child. And it's like, where's he been? Put him <laughs> in everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if I could also yeah, bring up right. um, a... Uh, yeah, Brad Bird. The the story, the the cinematography, the 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 like the the fabric stitching. There's a moment like when he's wrestling that that robot in the the lava pit, where the it's they show like part of his costume, and you see like the stitching, and mm-hmm. a lot like Soli and Mo- Monsters Inc. You're going like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. But out of all of that, uh, I think that. Um, one of the reasons why I was so jazzed about this whole thing was Michael Giacchino's score mm. in this film. Yeah. And I think oh, that yeah. it's, he, he was known before and doing a lot of TV and like video games before that. But this is the movie that really put him on the filmmaking map. Yeah. And this, this is the first time, like I remember seeing his name in something and being like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to watch this guy as he goes. And now he's yeah. the biggest thing in, in in movies like it's 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 great yeah yeah the the hard brass that's played all of the time and the 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 60s flutes and everything it was just like it set the scene exactly what brad bird's movie was conveying to me as an audience member Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i don't want to like i don't think i'm overselling to say he's kind of like this current era's john williams in a way i mean he's working on star wars stuff so Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's Disney's guy anyway, for sure. Yeah. And I, and I love him. This is another thing that my kids sometimes watch. You know, YouTube's a horrible thing. But uh, Mr. Incredible Memes, sometimes I don't get them, sometimes I do. But like, has his face reacting to something like his happy face or his sad face when you're comparing two things. But they watch these meme videos sometimes and it just plays that dun 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 like over and over like looped but i never get tired of it because it's such a catchy little little ditty yeah it's just just good good music mm-hmm. yeah it's just certain things i could never get tired of listening to and the score to this is probably one of those uh, anytime or even I'm like, like I, when like the building is on fire and he and frozone like you know jump in to save the day and there's this hard like like brass like it's uh i can't even replicate it and i'm not really going to try but it's just amazing <laughs> it just fits the the fire and the the tone of what that is just mm-hmm. to a t and i think uh you know looking at syndrome as a a villain it's like he's a good villain but the way the story set up again he's more of like a secondary villain behind the family dynamics and the discovering you know like you said jason the incredibleness of the family union unit and working together. And so it makes it like, you know, you know, it's going to be buddy once you see him. So it's not like a huge shock or twist, but it doesn't have to be because it just yeah. works. Yeah. And it, it gives you a, it gives you an interesting uh, cinematic parallel between buddy and uh, the part children mm-hmm. and how 
stifling creativity can mm-hmm. can change a human being fundamentally. Yeah. So, like, coming up against that, you know, loosens a lot of stuff for for the part and how they how they deal with their children and their powers. It's a very good point. Yeah, that's but interesting. The, yeah, so, and and then at the same time, you know, it also leads to more stuff in the sequel where you know, we're probably also going to loosen the rules on how superheroes function in society. Yeah. I'm a sucker for a good cinematic parallelism. But I also find it interesting, like, interesting too, because even though um, this isn't Watchmen, I, I can't help but think that there's a little bit of inspiration from the disbanding of these superheroes. And uh, even though in Watchmen, they didn't have quote unquote superpowers, but the the realism and the these are real people too um yeah. that Brad Bird was playing with mm. yeah they were where Alan Moore is more interested in kind of the dregs of superherodom and the the broken people left in its path uh, Brad Bird's a little more interested in how how they come together as a family unit yeah yeah i was having to look up um i was having a moment where i couldn't remember did incredibles 2 win but it didn't actually win so i guess um we're not going to fully talk about that film later on not that i'm going to go into detail about the sequel on this episode but i i do think you know 18 years is a long time for an animated sequel but Mm -hmm. i love that film and i love how it carries a lot of the dynamics and we continue to kind of look at the, the politics of uh bob having to leave behind his having to be the breadwinner and the what it means to be a dad what it means to be a husband and i think there's so many mature clever um plot points and storylines through through these two films yeah and i in the second one you know bob has to take a back seat a little bit with the superhero dumb of it all where ellen takes the seat where it it's it's a little bit of a struggle for him too yeah and he's he's never had to essentially be one-on-one with his children one on three as it as it may be right uh so so watching him adjust to a completely different lifestyle is just a smart way to take it yeah you're talking about the the animating i remember when that movie first came out and there were all the pictures of the close-up of his shirt and like the the fabric and the little the hairs on his shirt and like sometimes people would superimpose like a Pixar animator, like at 2 AM <laughs> working on the little tiny hairs. It's gotta be just right. Well, when you look at the credits, you know, it's like there, there's someone whose job is just fabric, mm. you know, and it's, that is all their job is. Um, so it's, I, I love, especially looking at the credits of like an animated film such as this, because of just how many people touch all of this. Right. It's, you know, the, the lighting, the, the hair, you know, it, there's so much. And each person is a part of it. It's almost like, you know, like uh, in a crude way, you know, we, we all think that Frank Oz was the only one who was operating Yoda, but he wasn't. You know, someone was operating mm-hmm. the eyes and the other hand and, mm. and stuff. So uh, it's, it takes a village and stuff like this yeah. is part of that and for someone like brad bird or anyone who is directing like animated films i mean there is a lot to think about i can't imagine yeah i 
I've never been in, you know, that kind of environment. I don't have any animation history personally. All I know is from watching like features on special, uh, right. Special features on DVDs or oh yeah, behind the scenes stuff. But it's like I said, it blows the mind a little bit. Anybody got any other notes that they want to bring up on Incredibles? Uh, I don't, I don't think that we should, uh, <laughs> talk about this movie without mentioning Edna at all. Oh yes, absolutely. Who voiced by Brad Bird? <laughs> voiced by Brad Bird, yes. and being being a, a film buff of like early uh, like Hitchcock cinema, uh, as soon as like she took the stage and seeing like you know um, that she looked exactly like Edith Head, yeah. uh, the customer <laughs> from the fifties and sixties. Mm-hmm. It was eight time Academy Award winner Edith Head. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it was such a treat. To to see something like that, especially like in a in a '60s modern retro film, yeah, know. oh yeah, and, and everything that everything that Edna says is just absolute gold. <laughs> and it's exactly what the movie needed at that particular point, too. Yeah, it it broke the the tension. Yeah, and <laughs> there's always there's always a new line I laugh at every time I see her and. When she's showing off Jack Jack's costume and she's like, it does this and it's bulletproof. And <laughs> Helen's like, what do you expect the baby's going to be doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He doesn't even have powers. <laughs> uh, still look fabulous anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, and of course, shout out to Samuel Jackson doing. Oh my gosh. Work. Yeah. Oh, Samuel L. on this one. He is. I mean, he's always perfectly cast. Yeah, I, I don't know a time I've seen Samuel L. and been like, ah, take him back. <laughs> but even but, then, like talking about about Edna, I mean, the, the scene with Frozone and Honey, uh, when yeah. everything's hitting the fan outside in the town <laughs> and they're arguing about his super suit. It's <laughs> I'm the greatest good you'll ever have. <laughs> <laughs> perfect and what does she say about like um uh the he says something like the city's at stake and she goes my date is at stake or something. <laughs> my, my, my evening's like, at stake my, that's it. <laughs> uh, uh, and i like that a lot of the uh because again i was i was working at a movie theater so i i used to see this trailer on front of everything and I, I was a projectionist so i used to have to like watch until the movie started and sometimes and so i've seen this trailer so many times and that is like the like the crowning joke at the end of the trailer was them was this exchange so yeah even the even whoever cuts the trailers for pixar in in the mid 2000s knew that this was the interaction of the film yeah. oh yeah such a great movie it is. It really is. Like it's just wonderful. Incredible even. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything really else to say about it. Um well it six hundred some million dollars it, six times its budget. It was a big fourth highest grossing film of the year. Yeah. Did real good. Yeah, especially for a two hour children's film that a lot of people were <laughs> wondering if it was even gonna work. Hmm. I will say Incredibles 2 was the first uh, movie we ever took Harrison to at the theater. And he did struggle with that one. I think that was even longer, wasn't it? Like 2.15 maybe? I can't remember. Uh, 
But there's one point where he's like, I'm liking this, but uh, can we leave? It's like, no, we got to hold on. There's 30 minutes left. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, but he ended up enthralled for those last 30 minutes. No, it's only 118. Okay. It's only only three minutes longer than this film. Okay. Wow. Maybe a bit more politics, though. I don't know. Probably. (laughs) There's... There is a lot of bureaucracy in that. <laughs> All right. Uh, then I think we'll move on to our worsty judgments. Jonathan, we're here. He'd be doing them, but he's not. Again, dropping the ball. No. Yeah, I know. So now, so now I got to fumble through this, <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna ask Jason our two questions. Uh, so the first one is. Uh, did this deserve to win best animated feature? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. One word answer. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I mentioned my reasons why um, at the beginning with uh, Polar Express, yeah. but um, I, I think that the Incredibles just had an edge that the Polar Express just didn't. I can see that. Yeah. All right. Then Zach. Hello. Did this deserve to win Best Animated Feature? Did it? Let's see. Seeing if I got my Shrek 2 uh, ticket stub here. Oh, there's my Eternal Sunshine one. (laughs) I saw that at Regal, so maybe you gave me this ticket stub. All right. That is a possibility. Well, I'll start by saying Shark Tale. Apparently, I gave it a B minus which is probably a generous score <laughs> back in 2004. Uh, but I hope, I hope I wouldn't have had to kick you out of my apartment for trying to play <laughs> too. <laughs> no, I, I think I probably rated it highly uh, with a B minus simply because of De Niro and Scorsese, like at the time, like, Oh, I think oh, that's so funny. <laughs> but subsequent watches of that film, it, it's not good. Um, so that's the bottom of these three nominees. Shrek two is great. It, it improves on everything of the first one, I think. Um, but Incredibles is the best of these three and definitely deserved to win this award. What do you think, Paul? Um, I'm, I'm about to just pretty much echo everything you just said uh, with my rankings. Shark tail is no good. Stinky poo poo. I don't <laughs> like it. Uh, I didn't like it in 2004 and I couldn't believe Martin Scorsese was in it. Uh, at the same time, I'm sure they paid him a boatload of money and it probably helped him get a, uh, get the aviator made. So oh, there you go. Who knows? So you didn't uh, like shark tail? No, no. Okay. All right. It was bad, stinky and bad, even though I gave polar express a B plus. There's Don Lino from shark tail right there. <laughs> Excellent. Hold on, hold on. There's, there's the mole, the mole, the Nero shark. He's, he he may end up being a character on uh, Shark Dressman. Excellent, that that <laughs> stuffed animal. Um, so uh, yeah, bad movie, not good. Rewatch it this week for the first time since I had to kick someone out of my apartment, <laughs> and it's still bad. It's it's a really bad movie. Uh, Shrek- I, I have not Shrek- I have not oh. seen Shark Tale, so I I can't chime in. The, I'm very jealous of you. <laughs> I can't tell you how jealous I am to know that there's a human being who hasn't seen Shark Tale. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I'm just happy I knew what I was walking into when I rewatched it this week, uh, and I didn't say, "Oh, 
I'm going to watch this shark movie starring Robert De Niro and then got Shark Tale. I don't even know what we're doing. Anyway. Uh, well, there's there's yeah, my uh, Shrek the, too. Yeah. Got them all here. Found it. The trio is in the notebook. Uh, and then there's Shrek 2, which I think was in my top 10 of 2004. And I saw like five times at the theaters. Because oh. then I, and again, I worked at a movie theater this year. So I saw yeah. these movies for free when I say I saw it five times. <laughs> I saw it five times for free. Uh, I love it. I think it's I I think it's a perfect sequel. It is the Empire Strikes Back of Shrek movies. Yeah, even though it helped ruin cinema. Yes, yes, Shrek helped ruin cinema. Done a lot of damage, <laughs> especially. Uh, and then Tyler. there's the Incredibles. Yeah, <laughs> that's. And I'll tell you what, because when I was a kid, my my older sister's favorite one of her favorite movies is Footloose. Hmm. And I, she had the Footloose soundtrack on cassette. I'm waving to whoever you were waving at. Um, <laughs> oh no, He's in Jason's a box. trapped in a box. <laughs> um, so I knew like every lyric to every song on the uh, the Footloose soundtrack, including mm-hmm. "Holding On for a Hero" mm-hmm. by Bonnie Tyler. So w- when I saw this movie in 2004 in the theater as a 20 year old man. I was singing every lyric of holding out for a hero along with Jennifer Saunders, who also big fan of ab fab. Yeah. Because I was a weird child. <laughs> um, I was so excited that that song was in there and now I never want to hear that song again because it is in <laughs> literally everything. <Yeah. laughs> I, I, I go back and I, I watch uh, all those movies from those, from Martin Scorsese and somehow it's in all of those movies. It's really weird. It's it is. permeated every <laughs> facet of my life. Was it in Main Streets? Uh, yeah. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> somehow, 20 years before Footloose came out, Martin Scorsese was like, I'm going to put this in Main Streets. What a weird thing to have happened. <laughs> I think it's I think it's in the scene where uh, De Niro's dancing on the pool tables. Yes. And it's one of the reasons why Travis Bickle started kind of unraveling because he hears the song in the background. <laughs> uh, we we have diverted. Yeah, we're so far from whatever I was doing. Um, yeah, sorry. Incredibles. Uh, okay, so Shrek 2 is in my top 10 of 2004. So was The Incredibles. Uh, I don't remember specifically where they were on rankings, but I have watched The Incredibles way more in the past 20 years than I have watched Shrek 2. So I'm going to put that on top and say, yes, this absolutely deserved this award. Also, it has a better sequel than Shrek 2. That's true. Fair enough. All right. Uh, so our second question, Jason. Yes. Is this the worst best animated feature? Oh, no. This is no. If if you can recall the best animated feature winners, do you have a worst best animated feature? I can tell you the ones we have so far. We've got the first Shrek. We've got Spirited Away, Finding Nemo, and now The Incredibles. I, I think they all deserved it. I, I think there's only one, and I can't remember when it was that I, when I read the winners the, the next morning, I went, really? But I can't remember what that was. It was, it was, it was post-Incredibles, though. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you ever find out what it is, message me, and I'll shout it out on the show and Okay. Make you uh, make all twelve of our listeners mad at you for your <laughs> answer. <laughs> this is called the teaser. <laughs> Pull them back for more. 
I'll, I'll try and find right. that. But I mean, I, th- I always felt like the, uh, uh, like many, I, I don't want to say like every film that's won an award deserves it or not, but I always felt like the animated ones were always really deserving uh, because of, I felt like, I feel like every animated film has an edge that live film doesn't. Yeah. I feel like there's a little bit more screws that they can tighten that live film just can't do. Yeah. Right. Um, and the ones that win, uh, th- those screws are tightened and tightened really good. All right, Zach, is this the worst best animated feature? No. And uh, we're currently only ranking the ones we've watched. So Shrek is still scraping the bottom of the swamp. Um <sighs> The Incredibles, I'm going to have to put just a hair below Spirited Away at number two. So that's where I am. How about you? I uh, No, absolutely not. Uh, this film is too perfect. It is such a good time. It is endlessly watchable. I, mm. I, I watch this film often. Mm. I don't revisit a lot of films, but this is one that I, I watch every at least every couple of years. Yeah. For, for whatever reason. Um, I have a hard time ranking this though, and I think I'm going the opposite direction of you and putting this just a hair above Spirited Away. There you go. Which, as I said on the Spirited Away episode, is not my favorite Miyazaki film. Yeah. Yeah. If if anyone cares to know, I I figured out what that movie was. Oh yes, please. Okay. Um and I know this is going to probably upset somebody, but I was not a fan of Happy Feet. <laughs> Withholding comment until we get there. Yeah, you might want to listen to the Happy Feet episode. <laughs> That's all we're going to say. I, it was a really popular movie. I, I know that. But uh, I, I thought that Cars, I have I, to go look at in that. my opinion, this is. Yeah, uh, I've got lots that? of feelings. I know Jonathan has lots of feelings for that year. I have very. I have very interesting feelings on that one. Oh, oh. Monster House is the other one. Oh man. Okay. All right. We're gonna stop talking about this right now. Yeah. I, I feel like I got a little bit of leverage because I'm a guest, so mm-hmm. I can break oh, that yeah. a little bit. For sure. Yeah, that's we 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 always encourage the guests to to think of the entire spectrum while we limit ourselves to what we have only talked about so far. Sure, sure. That's that's gonna be an interesting episode. We got two weeks until we get there. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, one thing we forgot to do on this because it was a uh, thing that we wanted to start doing, uh, grading the, wow, his name just dropped out of my head. Cheers. Oh, oh, oh. yeah. Uh, ra, ra, ra. John Ratzenberger. Ratzenberger. Rating, rating the Ratzenberger performance or the use of Ratzenberger in the film. How do we feel about it? I thought it was brilliant because it, it, his cameos are like the Hitchcock cameos of Right. Our generation. And it was one of those things that you kind of wait for and wait for and wait for. And by the time it got to the end of the movie, I had forgotten about it. Yeah. And then (laughs) it was one last joke. I remember in the theater as they're winding down and they're like having that nice family walk away from the stadium, finally like thinking about it for maybe the fifth time in the movie, because I love playing Where's That Ratzenberger? Uh, and I gave up. I was like, oh, well, I guess he's not going to be in this movie. Then he pops up. <laughs> <laughs> to undermine your thought. 
That's exactly right. He undermined my expectations of him not being in the film. And the mole I... miner. <laughs> yeah, and I like, I love, and I, I don't think we talked about this at all during this episode, that this is kind of a Fantastic Four pastiche. And Fantastic Four and the Molemen was a big storyline for the Fantastic Four. And the Underminer pops up at the end of this. I love that. Nice. Thank All you right. for that comic insight. I do try to be funny. <laughs> Another pun. All right. Well, let's wrap it up there then on that stinker of a joke. <laughs> Jason. Yes, sir. Where can people find you on the social medias? The social medias? Uh, yeah. On Instagram, you can find me under uh, Jason Platt underscore cartoonists, Jason Platt illustrator on Facebook, and out of like the two people who are left on Twitter, uh, Jason Platt underscore cartoonist author. All right. Uh, and anything you want to plug? Uh, uh, my my um, middle grade graphic novel series, Middle School Misadventures, is on sale now, all three of them. And you can buy them at, you know, Target.com, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, wh wherever you like to get books, you can find those. And uh, they're, they're a lot of fun. They are a lot of fun. Awesome. All right, Zach, where could people find you out in social media land? Well, you can find me on Critiker at ZachMaster, X-A-K-K-M-E-S-T-E-R, TikTok at House Havoc or Letterboxd by searching my name and Mr. Workman. Uh, you can find me at Shark Dress Men on TikTok, where Joseph Tappy and I are covering shark-related content. You can find me at Father the Fear across the platforms of Twitter. I'm one of the two people that Jason just talked about. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Letterboxd, where I'm keeping a tally of all the films that I'm watching. And this week, I took my boys to see Strange World. Since we're talking animated films, hmm. I'm one of the two people that also saw that movie in a theater. <laughs> um, so I'm keeping Disney animation and Twitter alive right now. Apparently go me also see strange <laughs> world. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Mm. Oh, and you can also go to my website, middle school, misadventures.com. Very good. Uh, I'm going there as soon as we finish. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason, thank you for joining us guys. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. It's, it's always a good time. And uh, Zach, what are we watching next week? Next week, we're watching Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit, which you can rent on Amazon, Google, Redbox, Vudu, YouTube, or stream on Peacock. Awesome. All right. We'd like to thank Trav from our sister podcast, Leveling Up with Benjamin Banks for producing our show. We would like to thank Chad Ramsey for our most excellent theme song. We would like to thank Megan and Jay Bellevue for our beautiful artwork. And you can follow the show on in Twitter and Instagram at Pod on Facebook at The Oscorsky Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and provide a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. It really helps us to be seen in the almighty algorithm. The almighty algorithm of getting busy with the five stars. Hey, there you go. So, for Jason Platt, Zach, and uh, let's go eight-time Oscar winner Edith Head, we would like for you all to have a damn fine day. <laughs>